Thank you, Tracy. It's really wonderful. Please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 12. Let's continue our series in Samuel. Today we're going to be reading 1 Samuel chapter 12. My name is Patrick Havens, one of the pastors here that works with our small groups and education. And if you're newcomers, so if you're new to the church, get to know me. I'd love to help you know how to get plugged in. 1 Samuel 12. Recently, Alicia and I attended the Weekend to Remember, a marriage retreat with Family Life. And if you've ever done it, it, it's amazing. I didn't know this, but it's been running for 40 years. And they've had a million and a half couples go through their Weekend to Remember. So the last day, the very last session of the last day, they have you stand up, you turn to your spouse, you grab their hands, you look them in the eye, and then they lead you through a renewal ceremony to renew your vows. These, till death do us part, these weighty promises to cherish and hold. It's really a beautiful ending to the weekend. Now, you can imagine with a million and a half people, some of those were inches away from ending. And they were making vows because of God's grace. God kept them together. But many of us may have not been reeling from betrayal or grievous sins, but still by the end of the weekend, you realized we all need to make renewal vows. There's things to forgive. There's things to work on. There's, there's little steps you can take toward coming closer together. Family Life uh, put it like this. No marriage is static. Each day, each choice, you're either moving closer together toward oneness or coasting farther apart. Last week in 1 Samuel 11, Samuel said, he invited all the people to Gilgal, and he said this, come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. Renew the kingdom. So chapter 12 is the renewal ceremony of what that was about. Um, so that was their purpose for getting together. They were going to renew the kingdom. So just remember, the word uh, to renew means there's a need to repair a relationship. Renewal suggests something's broken. Something's not right. Something's out of whack, out of, out of focus. We want to renew that. And that's what's happening here. Now, chapter 11, you may remember, it ended by saying Saul... And all, the, and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. I mean, they had a great victory. God raised up Saul and had a great victory over Nahash, the Ammonite. So you might be asking, wait a minute. You're rejoicing greatly, Samuel. What needs to be fixed? What needs to be renewed? We're, we're doing well here. So you be the discerning readers I read. Listen, or you be the discerning listener, I'm going to read 1 Samuel 12, and you, you tell me, was Samuel also rejoicing? Or the wise man, the prophet of God, did he see something much deeper that needed to be repaired? So let's hear God's word together. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 12. So let's hear God's word, 1 Samuel 12. Then Samuel said to all Israel, I have certainly listened to everything you said to me and placed a king over you. 
Now you can see that the king is leading you. Ask for me, I'm old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I've led you from my youth until now. Here I am, bring charges against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? Whom have I wronged or mistreated? From whom have I accepted a bribe to overlook something? I will return it to you. You haven't wronged us. You you haven't mistreated us. And you haven't taken anything from anyone, they responded. He said to them, the Lord is a witness against you and his anointed is a witness today that you haven't found anything in my hand. He is a witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors up from the land of Egypt, is a witness. Now present yourselves so I may confront you before the Lord about all the righteous acts he has done for you and your ancestors. When Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord. He sent them Moses and Aaron, who led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he handed them over to Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, to the Philistines and to the king of Moab. These enemies fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, for we abandoned the Lord and worshiped the Baals and the Ashtaroths. Now rescue us from the power of our enemies, and we will serve you. So the Lord sent Jeroboam, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. He rescued you from the power of the enemies around you, And you lived securely. But when you saw that Nahash the king and the Ammonites was coming against you, you said to me, no, we must have a king reign over us. Even though the Lord your God is your king? Now here's the king you've chosen, the one you requested. Look, this is a king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord, worship and obey him, and if you don't rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now, therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord and he will send thunder and reign so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. Samuel called on the Lord, and on that day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. Samuel replied, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless saints that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name. And because he has determined to make you his own people. 
As for now, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Let's pray. God, we pray your word would search us today, O oh Lord. Thank you for your promise that you will not abandon us because of your great name. Lord, we pray for hearts to be renewed to you this morning as we hear your word taught to us. May the meditations of our heart, the words of my mouth, be all pleasing to you. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> Saul's name literally means ask for. That's how Samuel begins the speech. Samuel begins by saying, this is the king you asked for. And literally, his name means asked for. Remember, there's an irony in the request, not only with his name, but deeper than that. Because the king they asked for was not the king they needed. We, we sense this tension all along since 1 Samuel 8. Because they requested a king like all the other nations. They didn't request a king like the Lord, their God. They didn't request a king after God's heart. They wanted a king after the heart of all the nations around them. They were, they were going in the opposite direction of God's plan for his people. God's plan, his covenant plan with Israel was not to conform to the nations, but to be distinct, to draw the nations to worship Yahweh. They're out of sync with the Lord. But God, in his grace and wisdom, in verse 13, it actually says this. Even though this is a king you asked for and Samuel was involved in putting him in place, look at verse 13. It, it says this. The Lord has set a king over you. So Israel, guess what? It's a done deal. From now on, you'll be a nation with a king. And Saul is your king. So I'm going to, that's in place now for the history of for the rest of your history through the Old Testament is to live under this king. But it doesn't mean you and I are doing well. <laughs> it doesn't mean, God's saying, it doesn't mean your heart is right with me. So that's what Samuel's getting at. He's gonna get at, they need a to be renewed in their kingship with God and to, to be renewed in, with their relationship with the Lord. And that's what Samuel is preaching here. It's his farewell sermon. It's his, it's his renewal ceremony. It's to get to the people to this place that we see in verse 19 where they say, pray for us so we won't die. He was working to get there. That's where he wanted them to see where they were with the Lord. You know, it's like that split second in a marriage counseling when when the one spouse blaming the other spouse has that aha moment, like, wait, it's my fault. Okay, I get it. I'm the problem. That's what Israel was doing. They, it took time to get there, though. It took time for them to see what they had done. Israel failed in their blind passion in asking for a king. They broke the covenant 
with the Lord. They rejected God as their king. For that reason, renewal was needed. So this chapter 12, it's a renewal ceremony with this main mission to renew our allegiance to God as king or be swept away because he will not abandon us. He is God. He will not abandon us for his namesake because he made a promise to us. So we're going to walk through this passage, this renewal ceremony with three statements. First, renewal starts with knowing your great need for repentance. Renewal is motivated by fear and the love of God, the fear and love of God, and then renewal is stained by prayer and teaching. So first point, renewal starts with knowing your need for repentance. You might know the name uh, Francis Schaeffer, started Labrie, pastor, evangelist. He was asked one time, hey, if you had an hour with a guy on the train, and the guy's a self-made man, he's secular, he's distant from God, but, but he was open to talking with you. If you had an hour with him on the train, how would you spend the hour? This is what uh, Francis Schaeffer said. He said, I would spend 45 minutes on the negative do, to really show him his dilemma, that he is morally dead. Then I take 15 minutes to preach the gospel. Well, maybe you get it from Samuel because 75% of the ceremony is to get Israel to that place where they realize they did wrong. <laughs> the majority of this service he's given, this sermon, is to get them to that place. So I front-loaded this first point to be longer, just by the way. Um, so Samuel is here, he's, and he's got this goal. Look at verse 7. He he's wants to put them through a convincing argument, a, like a trial. It, it, it's got trial language to it. He's going to make a case to confront them before the Lord. So Samuel starts the trial by putting himself on the dock. He starts with himself. He, he's speaking as an old man who's been walking with the Lord. Um, and he, he asks him, point blank, here I am. Bring any charges against me. Samuel asked for witnesses. You know, whose ox or donkey have I taken? Who whom I, who I wronged or, or mistreated? And they confess, you haven't wronged us. You, you haven't mistreated us. Saul's a witness. The Lord is your witness. Think about it. What has marked Samuel? Being set apart from birth. You know, he's walked with the Lord his whole life. His, the power of his ministry was in his integrity. And it could have discredited, right now, this service, it could have discredited the whole thing had they brought, oh yeah, you took this, you took this, you're, you're just like Eli and his kids. And No, he was set apart because he was an example. And if Saul was hearing this ceremony, he's an example. Here's what it looks like to live under God as your king. You're not out like human rulers to take and take, and take, but you're here to give and give, and you're content in the Lord. So he's an example for them. And we see this perfectly lived out in Christ, who came not to be served. Christ did not come to be, to gain and get and get. He came to give and give and give, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is what we're seeing in Saul. It's really an example for us of what Christian leadership should be about. Um, here I am teaching this word, but if there's 
there's a financial impropriety or a moral failure or an abuse of power, you, you know, you're kind of like, okay, I'm confused. You're representing this God speaking in front of him. I'm kind of turned off, not just to you, but to God. And so Samuel could have discredited everything. But instead, he's an example that's drawing, that's meant to draw people to, to the Lord and be convinced, oh, that's what it looks like. Transformation is real. The power of God is real. And that's where he's, he's doing it. So he sets himself as an example, but then he really sets a stage for the case. Okay, it starts in, in verse 6. You could call this one God versus the people. And, and uh, you know, and what hangs in the balance is this. If you can find any fault in God, yeah, you, you, your choice for a king was fine. But if God is righteous, your choice for a king was evil. A lot hangs on there. And, you know, it's kind of a dead ring when it's God versus people. <laughs> we know you're in trouble. Samuel begins this case, this argument, by saying, I'm going to point out all the righteous acts of the Lord, he says in verse 7. I'm going to point out all the righteous acts of the Lord. And he begins a history that Israel would be familiar with of their people. God started at the end of Genesis, through Exodus, through the book of Judges. He's kind of just doing a history of the story. If you put it all on a CD, it'd be like God's greatest acts of salvation. It's a playlist. And he, he does it. From the end of Genesis with Jacob to Exodus through the book of Judges, God is saving his people from their sins, and he is righteous in these acts. In Egypt, they cried out to the Lord. God raised up saviors in Moses and Aaron. In the land of Israel, they forgot the Lord our God. He brought, he allowed, he brought attention to them through the enemies like Sisera, the Philistines, the king of Moab. They cried out to the Lord. We've worshipped false gods. We've worshipped idols. And they turn to the Lord and they cry out, and God saved them. God sent these judges to, to rescue them. And it's a really recent history. First Samuel 7, Samuel was their judge for this time. And he saved them from the Philistines. And he set up an altar. He set up worship. God was saving them. So, but the consistent theme is happening of you have turned away God has been faithful to his promise. God has not denied himself. God has worked. And so the power of God for salvation for all who believe is the revelation of God's righteousness. He has been faithful to the covenant all along. When Israel denies the Lord, God is consistent. And Samuel turns up the heat in verse 12. So he's making this case, going through all the righteous acts of the Lord. And he says in verse 12, and he speaks to the very present. He says in verse 12, but when you saw Nahash, that serpent, did you lose your mind? You didn't turn to your faithful God who, will, who, will, who has never left you? You asked for a king instead. Verse 12, they actually said this, no, no. They said no to God. We must have a king over us. They, they, they demanded a king. And, it, and Samuel says, even though the Lord your God was your king, they forgot that 
To be God's people means you're under a covenant, keeping God, a kingdom that reigns. God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Israel. He made a covenant. It wasn't a contract. You know what a contract is? Contract is uh, breakable. A contract is impersonable, impersonal. Uh, you, you, you have a contract with your insurance company where if hail hits your house, you can get your siding fixed, hopefully. But that's the contract. A covenant, though, on the other hand, a covenant is personal. And it's a perpetual promise. That was their relationship to God. Israel was under a covenant with God. They, so what they were saying, essentially, is we want the security we want the security, but we don't want the relationship. We want, yeah, pay for this, but we're not actually going to personally worship you. And that's not being the people of God. That is not how God established the people of Israel. They were under a covenant that he wasn't going to break. So if that wasn't enough, and it, made, and it wasn't, <laughs> He has one more, he's bringing in one more in the trial. He's bringing in one more event, and this is a demonstration. He's bringing in one final piece of evidence. In verse 17, Samuel asks, isn't it the wheat harvest today? Oh, maybe it was a bumper crop. This is their once-a-year paycheck. Now, the wheat harvest was in May and June, so it's not the rain season or thunder wouldn't be coming. So it was a, it'd be a miracle he, when he calls down thunder and rain from heaven. But I'm not sure that was the real kicker. It may have been the risk of losing your wheat harvest. When rain and thunder, hail, all that strikes, that destroys a very vulnerable field. Remember, they're on private land. God, there is, God is king. You were going to reject him? He's king of all the earth. Well, they, they okay, we, we're, we did commit evil. It got their attention. The rain, the threat of what they were treasuring. And Samuel didn't water down what was going on here. He said in verse 17, you see what he calls it an immense evil you committed by asking for a king. An immense evil. He said, your wickedness was great for asking for a king. So I think it, it really asks, it's a good question, like why was asking for a king an immense evil, great wickedness? Well, like we mentioned back to Samuel 8, it appeared like a decent move, maybe logical. You know, we're a bunch of tribes. We're not really united to fight our enemies. Let's get a king in place, get everyone under him to fight our battles. So, it had some logic, human logic to it. But it actually had two evils connected to it. One is, he's drawn attention to both of these. One is that, well, by it, you rejected the Lord your God as king. You see, you can only serve one king. You got, you got to pick this one. So the one evil was rejecting the Lord as king, but the second evil was that they were rejecting their identity. They were rejecting being God's special people. They're rejecting the covenant 
they were under. They were rejecting this covenant that God made with them. They no longer wanted to be identified with God at all. Think of the risk of this. Try to explain this to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, all the judges. Try to explain to them, oh, we were the generation that rejected being the people of God. They would say, what? No, the only reason you're there right now is because God hasn't rejected us. Look back at all of our stories. We've been failing God the whole time and he's kept his promise. That's why you even exist right now. Israel, what do you mean you want out of this covenant? It's the only thing that's saving us is God being faithful to his covenant. You exist because of this. <clears throat> so they needed to get to this point, and this is where Samuel's doing. So this first main thing, renewal, starts when we realize our great need for repentance. So secondly, renewal, though, is motivated by the fear and love of God. <clears throat> so they experienced the mighty power of God through this storm, and it stirred them deeply. Pray that we're going to die. But it's a bit questionable, really what the motive was. It's a bit questionable, and we'll find out how real this was as we keep studying Samuel. But even, even how they said it to Samuel, did, did you catch this? Pray to the Lord, your God. They, they saw Samuel was under a covenant with God, but they didn't say, pray to the Lord, our God. Pray for us. Pray for the Lord, our God, your God. Were they not entering in, in this covenant with God? <clears throat> they met Samuel's relationship with God, but not the one themselves. But when you think about the whole story of the Bible, God is inviting a people to himself. He created us in his image. We are the ones that went astray, going our own way. We rejected him as king. But God promised a redeemer who would rescue us. And he invites all to be one with him through the greater king, the Lord Jesus. And you see God's commitment here in verse 22. This is one of these Awana verses. I don't know if it is Awana verse, but it could be. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. Do you, hear what, you see what's driving God's heart here in this verse? The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name. God, God has staked his very reputation on saving people on his name. It, it's his honor to save a people. It, that's, he will not quit that. He will not go against himself. It, he's determined to make you a, a people, meaning it pleased him to make you a people. It was, it was his delight and joy. You're a treasured possession. He, not because you're lovely. You were the smallest of all tribes. I chose you because I loved you. I set my love on you. And I, we made a covenant because I have a great plan for what I'm going to do with the people of God to be a testimony of myself, to be evidence of my grace and mercy. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means you've entered into it. It's not just because you're under the authority of God. The whole world's under the authority of God. There's no one who's not under the authority of God. But it's that authority you delight in. You are one with God through Christ. You, you, you said, I want in on this. That's what it means to be a follower. 
Look at verse 24. I want to just reflect on these three phrases real quick. It says, above all, fear the Lord. Worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done for you. So again, we're on this theme of how do you renew your relationship with the Lord? Right here. Look at these three things. Fear the Lord. Worship him with all your heart. And consider what great things he's done for you. So let me just, let me just reflect a little bit on each one. Covenant renewal involving, involves the fear of the Lord. Now, okay, maybe you caught this in, from verse 18 on down. There's three times he mentions fear, and they all seem a little contradictory. So it's, it starts in 18 where it says, all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Now, that was after the lightning and hail. So that type of fear, the fear of judgment, they feared the danger of making God angry. They, they feared the risk of losing their crops. They feared the consequences of their sin. So it's in them right now. Well, God is king. God is all powerful. Everything's under his authority. We're all under Yahweh's rule. He, there's no escaping his grand purpose and authority. Every president, every king, every viceroy, every policeman, every judge, every lawyer, every human being is under the God's authority. Do we not fear him? That, that's, what, that's what's striking them there. So it makes sense to fear God. But then Samuel replied in verse 20. Did you catch it? Don't fear. Don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. You're greatly afraid, which makes sense. And then he says in verse 20, don't be afraid. He means don't be afraid of judgment if you're renewed in your relationship with the Lord. When Jesus began his public ministry, his message was, the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. So the kingdom of God is good news. That's not a, it's, it, it's not a conflict. The kingdom of God is good news. Repent and believe. Notice, you don't make God your Lord. You don't, you don't make Jesus your Lord. He's already Lord. They're already a king. It's just, how are you going to relate to him? Are you going to enter in? Are you going to submit to him and, and give your life to him and enter the covenant through faith? Or will you resist? That's, Jesus is saying it's good news though. And there's an invitation, not by works, but by faith and repentance. So we, we can speak of God's kingship more than raw power. It's a king through a covenant relationship. It's how the story of how Israel came into existence. God set his love on them and made a covenant with them, and we belong to him. But yet, Samuel say, so we've heard 18 is, you know, they greatly feared. Verse 20, don't be afraid. And then what does 24 say? Actually, be afraid. <laughs> be afraid. Fear the Lord. Now, what does he mean by Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. When you, while you don't have to be afraid of condemnation for your sins, if you're in the Lord, walking with him, you still must be in awe of him. You still must respond to him as your king, your rightful king. Um, it's a monarchy of God's reign over the world, but not, not like in England where you got the constitutional monarchy with no power. It's just great shows of uh, chariots and stuff. And then, but the, but neither is it the monarchy like Saudi Arabia, which has little freedom. 
God's monarchy is unique in that he is the Lord God King who calls you into his family. You, you come to him as a child. He's adopted you as his own. You're in this palace with him, but you're a son. You're a daughter. And you respect your father. He's your heavenly father. And you revere him. You want to honor him. You want to obey your father. You're driven to obey. So this fear of the Lord is part of our renewal. It's part of what motivates being renewed with God is that God is holy and I want to please him. This is my life ambition now. So the fear of the Lord is a covenant renewal. And likewise, look at the second phrase in 24. Covenant renewal involves worship him faithfully with your heart. Worship him faithfully with your heart. To worship or to serve is to live in such a way that it's obvious everything in your life is under the lordship of King Jesus. The New Testament puts our, you know, our salvation, like you've been rescued out of this domain of darkness, you're transferred to the kingdom of your son in whom the Lord loves. He delights in his son. And that is a new reality for a Christian. That's, that's new worship. That's a new king. That, that, that's, that's driving us. We're, Christians are a citizen of God's kingdom. So we worship God with our time, with our money, with our behaviors, with our words, with our mind, with all that we are is worshiping God with all our heart, with all our heart. And this needs to be renewed because our hearts are prone to wander. Don't you feel it? Hearts are prone to leave the God you love for other lesser things. Like Bob Dylan saying, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And that's what Israel has faced here. You're going to have to choose a king. You will worship someone. You either choose the Lord God's your king or you will choose lesser kings who are, in words of what he says here, worthless. Worthless. To worship the Lord with all your heart. And that's what he's getting at here. In verse 21, he says, don't turn away. See, the opposite of worship was to turn away from the Lord, he says in verse 20. He says, worship the Lord with all your heart is contrasted with don't turn away from following the Lord. So worship the Lord or you're going to turn away from him. Don't turn away. In verse 21, don't turn away from following. Do, don't turn away to follow worthless things, things that, things that can't save you, can't rescue you. That's what's going on in the heart. Um, they said in 19, they said, we've added to, the, to our sin, this request for a king. We've added to our sin, added, added. So maybe this is one way to think about it. So we can define sin, simply put, which is really true, as rejecting or ignoring God. That's sin. It's rejecting God, ignoring God. It's rebelling against him. It's not being or doing what he requires in his law. That's sin. But we could add to that, too, this definition of sin. Trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, for significance and security. We would call that worship. That's idolatry. Notice it's the sin behind the sin. We've added to our sins this request. 
because our hearts were idolatrous. Our hearts turned away from worshiping the one true and living God. That's idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our hope and happiness, our significance and security. And it's turning to worthless saints that can't profit or rescue. Maybe when, when they were feeling fearful, they were ready to, 11-1 says they were ready to make a covenant with the snake Nash. They said, make a tree with us. Hey, if you're you know, better than our current covenant maker, we'll make it with you. And he says, oh, I'm going to gouge out your eye. And they're like, wait, okay. He wasn't like that. <clears throat> um, notice, though, their hearts were going to go there. That's how quick our hearts are to go to make covenants with false gods that won't profit us and rescue us. Maybe you're feeling vulnerable, and so you're tempted to, what? To, to look for security, but not in the Lord. You're feeling insignificant, and you don't find it in Christ. You're looking at it elsewhere, maybe in a relationship or in something else. You're feeling fearful about your future, so instead, turn to the Lord, you, all you think about are your finances. I mean, these are just the simple ways our heart runs ahead of, of the Lord. And that won't profit. It won't save. And it's evil. It, idolatry is evil. That's what he's getting at. And that's what he's directing. <clears throat> An immense evil. <clears throat> so worship God from the heart is the remedy to resist the idolatry that is close at hand, constantly tempting us, threatening us. So fear the Lord to renew the covenant, this uh, worship from, with your heart to the Lord. And then look at this last phrase in verse 24, that the covenant renewal involves us to consider great things that he has done for you. Remember the Westminster Confession of Faith, first catechism, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God is to esteem, admire, cherish, honor, praise. God has revealed his glory to us. Consider his beauty in creation and redemption. I mean, we heard uh, Samuel recounting history up to this point, you know, with Jacob, Moses, and the judges. Hey, believer, Look at how many more acts of God you can rejoice in. <laughs> Consider all that God has done. You have a, you're looking back through the whole revelation. Think of all, consider all the acts of that God has done. That, that is renewing your heart every day in what God has done for us. One of the dilemmas that even Samuel didn't quite know how it was going to get solved, you see in this, did you notice a dilemma? In 15 and 25, with verse 22. So 15 and 25 both say the covenant is conditional. If you sin, the Lord's going to be against you. If you do wickedly, I'm going to wipe you out. That's how it ends. That's the last word of the sermon. Verse 22, though, said the Lord will not abandon you or forsake his name, for the sake of his name. So how can the covenant be conditional and unconditional? What? What day of the week is it for you? Did you feel like it became conditional and God's now going to abandon you? Or are you just kind of mindlessly hoping for verse 22 that he won't abandon me? Well, that condition wasn't answered in the old covenant, but it was in the new covenant. It was resolved 
in the cross of Jesus Christ. The conditions were met by the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life. He died in our place to forgive us. He, he honored his father. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus obeyed God's word. He was God in the flesh. Only God could have fulfilled this covenant, and God did it. And it guarantees that the covenant is then unconditional as well, that Jesus has guaranteed that through what he has paid for in the covenant, he's fulfilled. And are you in Christ? So in marriage, you know, we make these vows to each other. Like, picture a young couple getting married, and they're basically saying, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. So young couple, they have now uh, a couple, couple bucks, right? They, they, it wasn't super profitable <laughs> at that exchange. Uh, but the love was there and the joy. But what did they gain, right? Well, imagine coming to Jesus, his offer. You know, the Bible calls him a bridegroom, and the Bible calls his people a bride. <clears throat> Christ's proposal is also all I have is yours, and all you have is mine. Christ in his covenant, he pledges to give all to you and to take all that is yours. And we, and we don't come with net positive funds, a cash flow. We, we have sinned. We've rebelled. We've turned against the Lord. We, we come bankrupt. We, we come in debt. We are not a benefit. We don't bring anything to this marriage. But Christ says, I love you. While you were unlovely, I loved you. I'm going to take all that. I'm going to pay that price. And I'm going to be loyal to you. And I'm going to give you all my righteousness, all my goodness. So what is all his becomes ours. We take his name. We take his identity. We get all that is in Christ. And that becomes ours. And that becomes who we are now. And he took all of ours, all of our debt, and he paid that for us. <clears throat> and we rest now, secure in this. And he also guarantees, I'm going to fill you with our spirit, and I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to transform you in this new covenant. You're going to actually want to obey God. You're going to actually want to keep this covenant. You're going to walk in the fear of the Lord. You're going you're to you're be renewed all the time, constantly turning back to me. I'm, I will not abandon you. And by my spirit, you're going to grow to obey me. That's the beautiful story of the gospel. So renewal starts with knowing you, your need for repentance. Renewal is motivated by the fear of the Lord. And then renewal is sustained by prayer and teaching. Right away, the people ask Samuel, pray for us. And it's a right response. Look at verse 23. Samuel says, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you and to be teaching you. God's people are going to be sustained by God. We're, you're not going to keep this covenant without the Lord sustaining you. And one of the means of that, grace, through the teaching, through the prayers for one another, that's being a part of a community. And Samuel's saying, I will not sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And let that motivate your prayer life. And, it's, and it is a sin because we're trusting in ourselves. We're, we're, we're forgetting a sovereign God to involve them in this crazy uh, idol factory of a world. God, you've got to rescue this. 
And all of our prayers are based on his covenant promise. I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you because of my great name. So you can, you can pray confidently based on his promises for his people that he will keep us. And we can pray that. We can pray for your spouse. You can pray for your kids. You can pray for loved ones, people you're meeting, non-Christians. Lord, show their mercy. We don't want to fail in praying for us because God is sovereign and we're asking him, Lord, we're, we're dead. We're, we're, we're going to die without you continuing with us. And that's the hope we have. And Paul would even say that in Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's how confident he was in his praying and ministry. That's how confident we can be. So when you go to a marriage retreat or maybe in counseling, you begin to realize the, the distance in your marriage maybe wasn't from big failures, but just small steps, little increments, just growing in isolation, slowly drifting. And we want to halt that drift, but how much more with the Lord, the drifting away from the Lord. So may this be just motivation of fearing, worshiping, considering all the great things God has done to just continually renew us in the Lord every day, all the time, to be growing in favor with God and man, to remember the things he's done for us. So take him, take him by the hands. Look him in the eye as you're reading scripture. He is real. He's a living God. Promise to him. Give your life to him. See his beauty. Look into his gaze. He's there. Look. Keep looking. Look for him. Grab a hold of him, and we'll be changed. We'll be changed. Let's pray.